So last week we talked about this gospel message that we kind of left off with in 1 Samuel chapter 12. My Bible says Samuel's farewell speech. We've been in 1 Samuel for a while, and things are about to go even more sideways for the people of Israel, right? Last week we talked about how Samuel was telling all these things to the Israelites about what was going to happen because they asked for a king. And actually the people of Israel responded and they were convicted by Samuel's message. They were convicted by what he said and by what he did. They said, please, don't let there be other sins cast upon us. Let let us do something that we can possibly do. And then what, what Brad just read, we talked about last week, in the midst of this chaotic moment, in the midst of all this thing going on, right, Samuel responds with the gospel message. He responds with the very thing that was just read. You have done all this evil. Yes, you have asked for a king, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can be no good. They cannot rescue you. They are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. And I just wanted to remind you this morning, as we step into 1 Samuel chapter 13, I wanted to remind you of that gospel message, because things are not going to go right today. Okay, I'm just going to warn you today. We've got a lot of scripture to go through together, but it's not going to go well for the people of Israel. Okay? But before we get into the kind of tragedy that is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, I want to ask you a question do you have any rituals that you kind of do every single morning or any kind of habits that you do every single morning? I hope that you wake up every morning. I hope you brush your teeth. Maybe some of us don't do that. Some of us struggle with that from time to time. Maybe you're a morning showerer. Any morning showerers in here? I don't know. But yeah, kind of wake you up a little bit. I'm a nighttime guy myself. Um, uh, but my morning ritual that I often go to without fail every single morning, 365 days a year, is I got to make my coffee every morning. Coffee people in here, right? Raise your hands. If, if you're not raising your hand, you're probably asleep because you're not a coffee person. Um, but I don't have a coffee maker at my house. I'm the coffee maker at my house. I make a more complicated ritual out of it every morning. You know, I grind the coffee. I put it in my little AeroPress. In my office, I got a different little mechanism that I make it with. And I sit there, and it takes me two or three minutes probably like more like five minutes after I boil the water and I sit there and I wait for it to drip. And eventually I get to the point where I could finally drink my coffee and it is awesome. I really enjoy doing that. And it's a part of the ritual that I've done for a very long time. It's kind of one of those things where if I don't do it or if I don't have enough time to do it, my entire day is thrown off. Maybe some of you have a ritual like that. Maybe it's not making coffee. Maybe it's making tea or it's your morning commute where you listen to a certain radio station, or maybe you sit in silence, or whatever it might be. We all, maybe to a certain degree, have these little rituals that we have in our lives that kind of kick our day off, that start things off for us to make the day seem normal. And my coffee ritual is big to me. It is not big to you, I'm sure. But for me, it starts my day. And I'm sure for whatever ritual that you're thinking of right now, it starts your day off on the right foot. So I want you to have that in mind this morning, as we continue on in our text this morning. Keep that in mind as we go. But to set the scene of 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul is readying his troops against a gigantic Philistine army. And guess what? The people of Israel are no match for this great force. So since we don't have the slides up there, we're going to use analog today. Maybe you have your phone in front of you. But paper Bible, have your phone or your Bible in front of you because we're going to be digging into Scripture this morning, okay? 
Does that sound good? All right, nod your head if you're with me. 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the, sta- uh, as the sand on the seashore. They went up and encamped at Michmash, east of Beth Avin. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks in the caves and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Okay. I just want to go through those numbers one more time, okay? I want you to put yourself in the position of Saul, maybe the Israelite army, and you hear that this is the crew, the crew coming to fight you, right? 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as sand on the seashore. I, re- I recognize this as hyperbole, but I think we're supposed to understand this is a scary situation that they're walking into, Right? The people began to scatter and to hide. And and rightfully so. I I mean, could you imagine, right, being assembled? Yes, you are God's army. You are God's people. But that's a lot of people, right? I I, I don't care who you are, how brave you are. That is a scary situation to be in. And that kind of sets the scene for what takes place next in verse 9, chapter 13. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up a burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Like I said, this morning we had the gospel message to start out, and Saul is going to twist it just a little bit. Let's continue reading together. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer a burnt offering. And I want to clarify something as we read this, that this isn't just any kind of battle that's normally taking place, right? Today we have kind of our own idea of what battle and war looks like. It's very, very different, okay? Because, you know, as the United States, these, we have our people fighting for our country. But as the people of Israel, they're not just fighting for their people. Who else are they fighting for? fighting for God. They're God's people, right? This is not just a battle about land and I want this and you can't have it anymore. These are God's people and they're fighting a holy war in some ways, right? So this isn't just about land. This isn't just about rights. This is about being God's people and taking what God has given his people. Not just any old fight. This is a holy battle. And it doesn't seem terrible, right, that when we read this, that Saul would do this because the context that I just said, right, these are God's people and they're going to fight on God's behalf. Why shouldn't Saul do this, right? What did it say? He waited, in verse 8 it says, he waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's man began to scatter, right? It seems to me that if I want to go into battle and we are God's people and our king says, you know what, the guy that's supposed to be here isn't here, why don't we just offer up a sacrifice to God and then we can go about and do our thing? Doesn't that sound like a kind of reasonable response? To me it does, right? This is God's people. I am God's anointed king and we're about to fight God's battle. I ought to offer up a sacrifice. But what was Samuel's response, right? Verse 11, what? 
have you done? And so rational Jimmy sitting here in 2022 is missing something, right? Because I'm saying, okay, what Saul did, it doesn't seem too bad. But for some reason, Samuel is saying, this is a very bad thing that you've done, okay? And all that we've read through 1 Samuel, one thing that we're supposed to understand about Samuel is that we can trust him, okay? Remember last week when he went before the people and said, have I ever taken your oxen? Have I ever lied to you? Have I ever done anything bad against you? What did the people say? Shake your heads like this. They said, no, we can trust you, Samuel. As the readers today, we are supposed to trust Samuel. And when Samuel says something like this, it matters. Saul did something bad, something he should not have done. But it doesn't seem so terrible because what is Saul's justification for this, right? In verse 12, look at this with me. I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to to offer a burnt offering. Right before that, he says, I saw the men were scattering, right? Our people were leaving. I saw that you did not come, Samuel. And the Philistines were very close to us. They were at Michmash. They were on our doorstep ready to take us over. I had to do something. It seems responsible, but Samuel does not agree. It seems that this offering was more about a ritual than a gift to God. And if you're remembering something that we talked about, Pat preached a few weeks ago, this is not unfamiliar behavior for Israel, right? Y'all remember what they did with the Ark of the Covenant? What did they do? They brought it out into battle with them because they thought if we have this totem of God, God will be on our side. But what ended up happening to the people when they had that mindset? They died. A lot of people died. And they, they were not victorious because they were using God as this good luck charm in order to do what they wanted God to do. The exact same thing is, is happening here. Saul was more consumed about the ritual than he was about offering anything up to God. Right? And I think it's really important if we read between the lines here about what he says. Now the Philistines will come down against me. At Gilgal, what is Saul making this all about? Saul, he's making it all about him. It's not about offering a sacrifice to God. It's not about offering a sacrifice as they enter a battle for the sake of God's people. It's about Saul. The ritual becomes the thing of worship once again. The ritual is kind of like the starter's pistol at this race that they're about to complete. It is not about pleasing God. It is not about doing what God wants him to do. It is about pleasing what Saul thinks he ought to do rather than what he wants God or what he wants for God to do through him. It's really about Saul. It's not about God. Continuing on here, we're going to meet somebody else in this section. So Saul, he does this. And Samuel's like, this is a very bad thing that you've done. Actually, your generation is going to be kind of cursed for this, right? He continues on to say this in verses 13 and following. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over all of Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. That sounds familiar about something we're going to hear about later, right? Okay, remember that for later. After your own heart appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's commandment. Again, I want you to be mindful that this is about Saul's heart, not God's heart, right? He's offering these rituals for the sake of his own selfishness, not necessarily to offer up God's righteousness in that moment. So that is Saul, 
Now enter Jonathan. Okay, you might have experienced Jonathan before. You might have read about him before. But Jonathan is Saul's son. And I think we're supposed to read this and see that they are very, very different people. And oddly enough, we've read about all through 1 Samuel, these father-son relationships are not very healthy, right? Remember Eli and his two sons? They were scoundrels. Remember even Samuel's sons? They did not follow his father's ways. But for some odd reason, Saul, this very selfish man, is going to have a very selfless son. He breaks this curse, right, in 1 Samuel of fathers and sons. And we're going to meet Jonathan here, and we're going to learn a lot about him in just two verses, okay? So in 1 Samuel chapter 14, it begins like this. One day, Jonathan, son of Samuel, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Jump down to verse 6. Jonathan said to this young armor bearer, Come, let us go to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Two very important things we learn about, about Jonathan, right? He's a great warrior. He has skills, right? But also, who does he trust? His own self? Does he trust his own strength? Does he trust in his armor bearer's strength? No. Who does he trust? He trusts God, right? He says in verse 6, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Perhaps the Lord will do something through us today. Eventually, Jonathan, the armor bearer, um, they are, they're going out to this outpost, like it says, and they're, along the way they're saying, maybe the Lord will give us a sign that we'll be, we'll, we will be victorious. And this actually comes to fruition. And I had a picture up here of, it's not up here now, obviously, but I had a picture of this feat that Jonathan and the young armor bearer complete. Okay, They're going out to this outpost, but the way it's described is that there's this cliff that they have to go upwards to to the Philistines. Okay, so I want you to imagine the most vulnerable position you could possibly be in and being confident in that position, right? They are going upwards, climbing rocks to go defeat this outpost of Philistine army. That sounds crazy. But yet because Jonathan trusts in the Lord and because the young armor bearer has his back, they go and they're victorious. Um, it's one of those things where I, in, in my mind it's like, that sounds like a young and kind of reckless behavior, but it's not young and reckless. It is just total reliance on the providence of God in that moment. And that is, it tells us a lot about who Jonathan is and tells us that he has confidence that God's hand will ultimately prevail. Uh, Saul eventually leads Israel into battle because Jonathan is successful at this outpost. He and the young armor bearer, they do some work at this outpost and they're successful. So Saul eventually leads his people out to battle. Look in verse 23. They have this battle, but at the end of it all, we land here of, of 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 23. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on to Beth Avin. Now, I've talked a lot this morning, and I, I'm sorry if you're falling asleep. It's a lot of history. It's a lot of details. I understand that. But one thing I want to get very clear is that this battle was not won by Jonathan or the armor bearer. This battle was not won by the army. Definitely not by Saul. But it, again, was the Lord showing up in verse 23. On that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on to Beth Avin. But in the midst of this battle, Saul makes everybody take an oath that they're not going to eat until they're victorious. Why would you do that? <laughs> Right? Uh, I tell you all the time that I like to watch this show, Survivor, and uh, 
they get to these challenges a lot of times, and they're awful in these challenges because these people aren't eating anything, right? They're falling over themselves. They can't complete these normal tasks where I'm sitting here at home eating my tacos, saying, how could you not throw that ball into that thing, you depleted person who's only eaten coconut for 25 days, right? I have this high and mighty stance, but could you imagine being a soldier in God's army? Again, this holy battle where you have like all this pressure on you to, to really serve the Lord in a good way, and you have an empty stomach? I don't care how righteous you are, but if you've got an empty stomach, it's going to be problems, right? It's gonna be, some of you are thinking right now, Jimmy, wrap this up. i got an empty stomach right now. <laughs> so I get that, and I promise we're, we're moving. But Saul, he does this, he does this like, Weird thing in the middle of the battle, say, don't eat any food until we're victorious. And we fast forward, okay, they were victorious, but along the way, it wasn't necessarily Saul's oath. It wasn't necessarily these people doing these things. It was the Lord all the way. So in the process, uh, as they're going from this place, uh, Jonathan eats, right? And as he eats this honey in verse 24, his face lights up and he's filled. And the people are saying, oh no, you just broke the oath that Saul made us take. You're going to be killed now. And Jonathan's like, what do you mean? I wasn't even there. Because where was Jonathan? He was fighting on the Lord's behalf. He was fighting God's battle. He wasn't there listening to his father, Saul, tell him not to eat food. He was doing what the Lord called him to do. But he, in the process, breaks his father's law, breaks his father's oath, and he eats this food. And so look down in verse 44 here. This is what Saul says in the process. Well, actually, back up to verse 43. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. So Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the end of my staff, and now I must die. Sounds kind of dramatic to me. That doesn't say in the Bible. That said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. May God deal with me if it ever be so severely if you, if you do not die, Jonathan. Once again, we have Saul elevating himself far beyond where he ought to be elevated. Right? We started out today talking about how Saul, he, he's offering these sacrifices because the people are coming against me. And now in the midst of this battle where the Lord is actually doing the work through Jonathan, he makes it once again about him. And because somebody broke his oath, they must die. Because in Jewish tradition, if you were to accidentally break a law that you didn't know about, all you would have to do is offer a, offer a guilt offering, a guilt sacrifice. And guess what God would do? He would forgive you. But not so for Saul, Right? Saul says, I actually, in a way, supersede the power of God because since you broke an oath that you did not know about, you still have to die because guess who's God in this story? Saul's God in his own story. It is not so. <laughs> it is not meant to be. But that is how Saul views himself. He is viewing himself as God and everybody else are his subordinates. How on earth did Jonathan kind of break the curse of the father-son relationship that we see in 1 Samuel. I don't know. But it seems like the Lord had a bigger story to take, to take place in this relationship that we're going to read later on. But this brings full circle uh, kind of the story of Saul, the story of Jonathan, and the tale of the father and the son and how they're so different. One kind of emulating what God has called him to do and one emulating what only he wants to do, Right? 
And so I kind of get to this point where how can we grow closer to God and push back from this kind of Saul self-glorification? And if you're saying, well, I'm not a very selfish person, maybe you're more selfish than you think you are at times. Maybe you allow yourself to to see yourself more highly than you ought. But the question that I kind of want to reflect on today is how can we grow closer to God, lean more into the Jonathan prototype of how to live a life rather than the way that Saul lived his life? The first thing is that Saul was often impatient on God's timing, whereas Jonathan was dependent on God's timing. You follow me? We read at the very beginning where where Saul, all these things are taking place, and Samuel arrives probably at the time that he said he was going to arrive, but not when Saul wanted him to arrive. And so Saul kicked things off. Saul had to do it his way, whereas Jonathan, he's waiting for God to act on his behalf. You see the difference there. And so the question for me is, when are there there times where I am impatient on God's timing? When are there things that I do that are just to glorify self rather than than to glorify God? I know for me, um, this this is honesty time, I don't like confrontation. Some people in here love confrontation. Raise your, no, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. There's some people in here that love confrontation. Um, but there's some people that don't like confrontation like me. Uh, I've gotten better at it. I've gotten better at having conversations. Uh, but sometimes I can be impatient as to God's timing about how to deal with the situation. You follow me? Because sometimes when I make a mistake or sometimes when I fall short or sometimes when I'm the wrong I want to jump and say, I'm so sorry, 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 I'm so... You know what I mean? And guess who's not ready to hear the I'm sorry yet? The person that I've done wrong to. Like, I want to make it about my time. Oh my goodness, if they could just listen to my apology, and if they could just forgive me, everything would be better. Guess whose timing that is? It's my timing, not the person I've hurt's timing. And we do the exact same thing with God. We, 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 we want to make everything about our time. And God, I want to pray for this thing to happen in my life so that this thing could happen, so that this thing could happen. And we have these, all these sequences in our life that we are kind of telling God how it ought to be rather than depending on how God wants it to be. It's not just about relying on God's timing. It's about relying on others' timing as well, recognizing that we're part of a system. That's going to be our next point here. So we're impatient like Saul sometimes on God's timing rather than dependent on God's timing as Jonathan was in this text today. The second thing is that we are sometimes quick to assume authority rather than relying on great teamwork. Um, I don't struggle with this one as much. Uh, I don't necessarily like to be the one who's in charge uh, calling all the shots, Uh, but there are some people in this room, don't raise your hands. Uh, that sometimes are quick to put themselves higher than they ought to. And the problem with that is that you often don't know that you're doing it until everything falls apart. You often don't recognize that you are actually elevating yourself above other people for the sake of just seeming more important than you actually are. When in, rea- when in reality is when we're emulating Jesus, his model of, uh, of leadership was taking off his outer robe and washing the feet of other people. Whereas sometimes people, even within the church, we like to elevate ourselves to a position of, actually, I'm more important than you are. That just doesn't fly. 
And we see with Saul where he's elevating himself to this place where he's making these oaths to the point where he wants to kill his own son because his oath is that important. That seems crazy to me. But we do the exact same thing today. Rather than relying on teamwork, rather than relying on the community around us. I love Jonathan in this relationship that he has with his armor bearer, where they're they're brothers in arms together. They're saying, let's go together to do the Lord's work. It's not about me. It's not about you. Perhaps the Lord will do a great work through us today. That is a great disposition to have, and it's something that I definitely need to learn to rely more on. And the third thing is that sometimes, not are we, only, are we always quick to assume this kind of authority, sometimes we're so stubborn to seem right that we end up looking crazy. <laughs> yeah, you can allow that. Some, we end up looking crazy. We want to be right so bad. Like Saul, when he says this thing right here, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. Why? Because you wrote the rules, Saul. Your son didn't have to die. But because you want to be right so badly, you're going to do something very, very silly for the sake of something that you deemed to be law. That doesn't make any sense. Verses lying excuse me, versus the clear-headed behavior that we see from Jonathan, right? What is Jonathan's response when this is all going down? He says this in verse 43, I tasted a little honey at the end of my staff, and now I must die. He's very clear in this moment. I think from this point, what we've learned about Jonathan is that no matter what's going on, perhaps the Lord will do a great work in me today. That's kind of the rhythm that I hear going on in the back of his head. I'm going to go up this mountain, and I've got my buddy with me. There's a whole lot more guys up there than there are guys with me. And perhaps the Lord's going to do a great work in me, or he's not. <laughs> perhaps the Lord is going to do a great work with me, uh, or my dad's going to kill me. Perhaps the Lord, I just see that as a rhythm in Jonathan's life, as opposed to his father's life, where it's like, no, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm in charge, and you are subordinate to me. I am the king of of myself and all of you people. But the fact of the matter is that sometimes we are too stubborn to know when we're wrong and we're too stubborn to say, I'm sorry. We're too stubborn to say, you're forgiven because we want to be right so bad. And that's just wrong. And I want to pray that I can be more like Jonathan because I let a lot of little things in the back of my mind kill me. I let a lot of little things pile up and I let a lot of little things take me away from doing the things that I ought to be doing better. And it really distracts me, I think, of allowing that rhythm of perhaps the Lord will work in our favor today. It interrupts all that. And I want to move closer towards what Jonathan is kind of emulating and away from what his father's doing because this whole stubbornness this whole quick to assume authority, this whole quick to assume I'm high and mighty, I'm, I want to be through with that. Everybody else can see it sometimes faster than you can. I pray that I can be more like Jonathan. I pray that we can all really be more like Jonathan. And we talked this morning, we started out by talking about these rituals that we start our days with that really kick our day off the right way. 
And really what it's about, it's not about the ritual, it's about what happens after the ritual, right? For me, it's about that coffee that I get to consume. Maybe for you, that the ritual of, of driving in silence or, or whatever you start your day out with, it's not just about the ritual, it's about what that ritual starts out for you for the rest of the day. Nobody sees that. Nobody's going to praise me for making complicated coffee, right? It's about what I want to do to start my day off. And it's the same thing for you. And I pray that as we look at this text from today, that we don't allow God or we don't allow church to become just part of the ritual that doesn't mean anything to us. Help us to just see and and really grow closer to God. And ultimately, our whole mission statement for this entire church is to glorify God in all that we do. And if we're acting like Saul, we are not glorifying God. And unfortunately, we act like Saul far too often. Let us abstain from being impatient. Let us stop from assuming this this idea of authority. Help us to stop being so stubborn in our ways. And help us to gravitate towards perhaps the Lord will work in our favor today. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. And I thank you for giving us this message. And I I pray that I don't fumble it too much uh, when I get up here and talk, and, and I just pray really that the message that Jonathan kind of witnesses to us this morning is ringing in everybody's ear, and that everybody can kind of see how they can be more like Jonathan, including myself, uh, when I don't do things right, help me to be uh, just better at hearing what you're calling me to do. God, as we leave this place, help us to grow closer to grow closer to you rather than grow closer to our own idea of who we ought to be. God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the time where we offer an invitation for those who are hurting, for those who are rejoicing, for whatever's going on. You can come forward and talk, but if you don't want to come forward, that's okay too. Talk to somebody today as we stand and we sing.